Hello and welcome to Hack Chats. Thanks for joining me. It's the first episode that I've been able to do since moving to the Sunshine Coast. Uh, and for those of you that prefer to watch these on YouTube, you will notice that this one is not one that we have filmed um, because I moved to the Sunshine Coast. So lovely Nick that films all of them is sadly still in Sydney. It was a bit of an ask for him to fly up just to film this, but that's not important. I was worried that I wouldn't really be able to find as many guests when I moved up here because I'm 11 hours away from Sydney and if you drive it in a Yaris and I you know all of the guests on this tend to be recommended or friends or you know people that I know through people so I was scared I wouldn't be able to find people as frequently and luckily for me within a week of me being here I met Vicky who's today's guest um, also known as Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy. So we had a pretty extraordinary first meeting, which we'll get into at the beginning of the podcast. I don't want to repeat myself. But basically, this is a chat about her journey to sobriety. Sobriety. Not an easy word to say if you are drunk, which is ironic, isn't it? Isn't it? Maybe I'm just not good at talking. Anyway, I cannot thank Vicky enough for coming on this. Uh, she runs a podcast of her own as well as a blog and she's written a book and there's all sorts um, that I'll put in the show notes for you guys to follow up on. She really is a, a, an inspiring and hilarious individual. I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is my episode with Vicky Vanston. Welcome to Hatchacks. Today's guest, Vicky Vanstone, author, blogger, podcaster, mum, wife, drunk mummy, sober mummy. Am I missing anything? Um, cleaner. Cleaner, ironer, <laughs> yeah. folder of clothes. Annoyed person, generally. <laughs> okay, good. Let's see if we can avoid pissing you off for the next yeah. half hour to yeah, an hour. Watch out. Um, so, yeah, I usually start these podcasts by describing how I met the person. Our story is maybe one of the best of anyone that I've met and interviewed. <laughs> oh, good. We did an ex exercise class together. We had a coffee. Then you gave me the keys to your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you had a nice face. <laughs> so give him, give him my house. Yeah. That's basically the bullet point version of how we met. <laughs> yeah. um, you're also the only person I've ever met who I've said, yeah, at one point in my life I went to clown school. And you're like, yep, yeah, sweet, me too. <laughs> Usually that is my trump card. That is like, oh, wow, cool. There's a conversation for 15 minutes. Yeah. And you're like, yep, yeah, sweet, match. I think you're the first person I've ever met that's been to clown school as well. Oh, good, good, yeah. good, good. All right, well, neither of us can ever impress each other with that, then that's off, no. the, off the table. No, done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess the reason we want to sit down today, we'll obviously be talking predominantly about sobriety and your, and your journey to, to that. Um, but I guess I'd like to start at the start, as we often do with these things. Not so much the start of your um, drinking life, mm -hmm. but would, were you ever, did you ever have like an addictive style personality, I guess, before alcohol came into your life? Um, I was so young that I can't really remember a life before alcohol, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I, I come from a family, I'm, I'm originally from England, as you can tell, but we're obviously recording this in Australia, but I come from an typical English family of um, partiers. So my 
my mum and dad were always the hosts uh, mm-hmm. in the 80s you know it's all about having the cheese and pineapples on a stick and you know opening the port and all that sort of thing they were always huge parties so I don't know whether I actually had an addictive personality I'm not sure actually in fact whether that is a thing right now I'm not sure that people do have addictive personalities. I think there is definitely perhaps a family gene or or perhaps I was more prone to it because I watched my parents drinking. But I think it's definitely... I don't think you're. it's something you're born with. Yep. Yeah. So I think growing up, I was sort of... My deluded destiny was to be a binge drinker as I turned into. Yep. But whether or not it was because I had addictive personality or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> yep. I guess what I've... I've heard you speaking about this subject a lot and I guess what I like about your story in particular is that it for many people particularly I guess Brits or Aussies have got similar sort of drinking culture here it's such a normal story you know yeah it was growing up with parents that drink whether or not that you know was a factor or not it doesn't matter um but lad culture going to lots of raves sneaking booze when you're when you're too young yeah all of that, 99% of the people I know have done. Yep. Um, so when... Did you, do you have brothers, actually? That was something I, wanted I to have ask. an older brother and two older sisters. Okay. Was there an element of wanting to keep up with the older siblings and impress them and be the cool younger sibling? Absolutely. Or... Yep. So when I was younger, my sister is 10 years older than me. Um, and yeah, my brother is, is, is as well. So um, she's 13 years older than me. He's 10 years older than me. And... I watched them rebelling. So I was little when they were when they were teenagers. Mm. So I used to watch them going out. I used to watch, you know, them being the naughty teenagers. And all I wanted was to join in the sort of cheerful pandemonium. I mean, I just wanted to be like them. She, my sister had the boyfriends. My brother was like out throwing eggs at phone boxes and just kind of being this crazy punk. And my, my other sister, I mean, I watched them all grow up and start going out without me. So all I wanted to do was to join in. And so they were kind of my teachers, I guess they were sort of, they had me in training from a young age. I just watched their behaviors and, and wanted to copy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that's not, not uncommon. I mean, yeah, your older sister, I obviously got the chance to meet Lou. She also is now sober and had a, did she have a journey, did that sort of journey was that parallel to yours? Is that similar? Her getting into booze, getting out of booze and, and being completely sober now for, she'd been 10 years or something? 20 years. 20 years. 20 yeah. years Amazing. sober she is. Yeah. So she was a binge drinker like me. I think the reasons we were both binge drinkers are actually different. Um, but I guess we followed the same path, but she got sober when I was still a huge booze bag. Mm-hmm. So I just thought she was so boring. I was like, oh God, here she comes, the sober one. Like how... You know, I, I was I was annoyed with her about getting sober because like, who was I going to dance on a podium with? Who was yeah. I going to do, you know, sing Carol King on the karaoke machine till three o'clock in the morning with? It annoyed me that she had got sober because it was just so ingrained in me, and I was so inside of that culture that I just thought anybody who isn't on that same train, that same crazy train as me, is just a boring dullard basically. So so yeah, she did she did get sober a lot earlier than I did, but and now I can see like she was exactly the same as me, like kind of going out, drinking more than probably anybody else in the room and, you know, waking up with a stranger and all of those things that go hand in hand with over drinking. But 
I think our reasons for drinking were actually very different. I think um, both of us had little voids somewhere in our hearts, perhaps, that we were trying to fill with alcohol. And that's what happens in this sort of socially acceptable type of drinking, is that people don't realise that they've got trauma or they've got reasons behind their drinking habits. They just think, oh, I'm a big drinker. But actually, that's normally not the case. Mm -hmm. That's why when I said about addictive personalities, I'm not sure that that is actually a thing. I think it's more that people are trying to drown out the fact that they're perhaps an introvert perhaps they've got some trauma that they haven't dealt with I mean there's a lot of reasons anyone might be an over drinker because you get people that do stop I mean Mm. I know a lot of people who can have two drinks and then just go home and that's the end of it and I think that's where the difference lies between a binge drinker and perhaps the word normal drinker would come up yeah yeah um during those years when you were drinking there are obviously lots of Fun times and lots of crazy stories and lots of karaoke singing, no doubt. Yeah. Um, I know you have half a finger less than you yes. than you should have. Yes, I do, yeah. Due to a relationship with a firework in Thailand. Yeah, on the millennium night, I blew my finger off with a, with a firework. Yep. Yeah, which is... <laughs> yeah, I know, I laugh something. about it, but like really the reality of that situation is that it was, you know, I was completely out of control. Mm-hmm. I was wasted on a beach at a full moon party at three o'clock in the morning lighting fireworks. I mean... It's not the smartest move, is it? True. But I thought people wanted that from me. I mean, that was my problem. That was my reason why. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's definitely something I want to touch on later in terms of labels that we give ourselves or perceive others to have of us. That's a whole topic we'll, we'll get into for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a big sure. one. Um, during, you know, Thailand, for example, during those years when you're drinking it with school and uni and everyone's drinking all the time and all of your friends are doing it and you don't from the outside feel as if you're doing something wrong or something different. Mm -hmm. Were you aware that you didn't have an off switch then? Were you aware that I'm not the person that can just have two and stop? Or was it just, oh, we're all doing it, we're all pissed, we're all at uni, whatever it is? I think it was that. I think I was within every culture that I placed myself within, as you say, like traveling, Ladette culture, everything I did throughout my youth really, so I was surrounded with people that were doing the same thing as me. So I never, ever stood out as having a problem. I never questioned myself ever. I knew that I liked to drink. I knew that I was fun. I knew what was expected of me, that my friends all all drank the same. So no, I don't think I ever questioned my drinking. Mm -hmm. I just thought this is what people do to have fun. Therefore, I'm going to do it too. And then the key moment for you came when you had kids yep so I had children when I was I had my first child when I was 34 and my plan was when I was pregnant I had this lovely sort of nine months of of not drinking of course as soon as that pregnancy test came back positive I stopped drinking and it was the first time really I'd ever stopped drinking since I was about 14 years old that nine months was really a a major change for me and I found I quite liked myself in that time but I never considered stopping and I never thought I had a problem still because I just I just was a binge drinker like everybody else it was like a clever sort of drinking that was absorbed into the crowd so I had that lovely nine months and then the baby came and my plan was to be this amazing mum which was always what I wanted to be was to be a mother and to also still be myself still be the party girl, still be the life and soul. But what I found after the baby was born, um, that transition between being a party girl and being a mother 
was actually harder than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where in mummy wine culture comes from, is that a lot of uh, women that are involved in that culture after having children have been party girls in the past. And we go from this being independent, from being women that do whatever we want to do with jobs and careers and everything, to being stuck at home with a crying baby. And I think... You know, the only way you know how to escape that when all you've ever done is drink is, of course, to go out and drink. Um, the mundaneity of motherhood really kind of, it didn't sit well with me, even no matter how much I loved my baby and how I was a brilliant mum during the week. The the boredom and the just the, the demands that were on me to look after this young life became too much. So at the weekends, I wanted to escape from that and I wanted a release. And the only release I knew how, because of 20 years of heavy binge drinking, was to go out and and find that little piece of me that I was missing again. Mm -hmm. So that's really what my drinking turned into. It sort of morphed into another style of drinking where I was trying to find myself again from underneath the pile of washing and out of the baby wipes and out of the you know, the mashed up pumpkin and everything, I wanted to be me, the me that I knew, which was a drinker. <laughs> so it all got very confusing. And even though I had a baby, I started to go out most weekends and let my hair down. And it wasn't until um, the hangover that I really started to question my drinking because something infiltrated my hangovers after having children, which was fear and anxiety and shame and of course when you're lying in bed with a terrible hangover and there's a baby crying in the room next door you have to address your feelings and was before if i had hangovers they were sort of soaked up with a bloody mary and a bacon sandwich but this situation had changed like my life had changed i had somebody else i had a responsibility and lying in bed with the hangover wasn't wasn't working anymore Mm. who are you drinking with on a friday night is it other mums at yeah. that stage is it oh, i've got some mates who like to party who haven't got kids or you know are still into it who are you going out to seek for that it didn't matter hamish to be honest i mean what my thing was that i could always make a party wherever i went so mm. i would make an excuse to go out i'd phone a friend who i knew was on the same mm-hmm. you know the same crazy train as i said before as me so i always had reliable drinking buddies so i could create a night out very very quickly by you know just by making a phone call so it didn't matter i just wanted somebody to relax with and to have fun with which for me equaled drinking so sometimes it was mother's group sometimes if i had a babysitter i'd go out and me and my husband would go out and drink it didn't matter who it was i could always find someone to get wasted with yeah what i've always found refreshing about that story is irrespective of drink any mum openly talking about the boredom of being a mum I always find so enlightening because I think it must be pressure on new mums to go you know all of my friends who are now mums talk about it's the best thing in their life and mm. you know this was the piece of their life that they were missing and yeah. now my life's complete and actually so much of it is inevitably boring or you know staying at home talking to a thing that can't talk yeah baby chat yeah who we feed, yeah. sleep, lack of, you know. Mm. So I, I always like anyone opening up about that. Because I, I guess... do, I agree. I think people, women pretend a lot of the time that they're happy. And, and that's a real grey area, like a scary area to be in as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you're unhappy and you're not telling people, then, you know, that's where the baby blues can kick in and things like that. So I think talking about it and being honest that actually... I'm not saying I didn't love my child. I love that baby more than anything in the world. But also I didn't know another way of being. So 
what else was I supposed to do? If you don't know who you are without booze, then, you know, it, it's a very hard place to be, to, to be that parent and to admit that, you, that you've got a problem, and which is why a lot of people don't reach out for help, which is why a lot of, a lot of this sort of grey area drinking goes missed, because you want to give the impression that you're a great mum. So you go out to mother's groups and things, you talk about feed times and all of these things, but I actually found those, borings, those conversations, Hamish, a little bit boring. <laughs> yeah. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to know what people's relationship was with their mother-in-law and how many men they'd slept with, and yeah, I wanted yeah. to get to the nitty-gritty, and talking about baby sleep times, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did find it boring, and I'm happy to admit to you that I did. Like, it was a bit boring. So then, second child came along, sober for another nine months. Yep. And then got started drinking again after that. And then that was the key moment where you decided, Matt, hang on, I need, I need to stop. Yeah, so I had that other lovely sort of nine months of sobriety where, again, I saw, saw a version of me that I quite liked again. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did make promises then because I'd been really struggling with the anxiety for those four, four years since having my first child. Every time I drank, I was having huge, huge panic attacks and... But then I just carried on. I just couldn't, mm. I couldn't get out of that bubble. So I promised myself during my pregnancy that I would do better. And in six weeks after the baby was born, she wasn't feeding well. She was up all night. I was exhausted. I had a four-year-old to look after as well. And it was just too much. And the only way I knew how to release was to go and get drunk. And I went down to my local bar here where I live. And I, I just remember the, the wines going down so quickly, like in one gulp. I just wanted to get out of that mummy zone. And yeah, I just got really, really drunk. And the next morning I woke up with a terrible hangover, fear pulsing through my body again. And I just thought to myself, you know, I cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. mm. Did you ever have, because then you came in, you spoke to your husband, you said, that, that's it, I'm done, I need some help. Did anyone ever approach you, husband or friends or anyone say, hang on, your drinking's a bit intense? Never. No one ever did? No, no one's ever, ever pulled me out of the crowd and said, you've got a problem. Yeah. Funnily enough, I did see... Would that have helped? Um, yeah, I think it probably would have helped. Mm -hmm. I think somebody saying... In fact, the only time when I was growing up was at university once. I'd, I'd, um, I'd not gone into... A, in fact, I'd never went to one lecture, but I, had, I'd, I was supposed to go to a lecture with a girl and I hadn't turned up. And I remember her coming up to me the next day and saying something like, oh, why didn't you come? Oh, because I've heard about you. She, oh, we didn't know each other very well. She said, oh, you're Vicky. Right, I realise now you're the one that drinks loads and takes loads of drugs. Yeah. And she was right. I was that person. Mm -hmm. I was that crazy party girl. And I didn't know I had that reputation. I just thought I was fun and everybody liked me. And actually, that is one of the only times when I was 19 was that somebody actually said, look, you, you've got this reputation. Mm -hmm. I actually left university the next day. I never went back. Wow. Because I was so humiliated by that fact. I was like, oh, my God, that's what people think of me. So instead of dealing with that situation, because I couldn't imagine a life without booze, I left and just carried the party on in a different location. And I think that's what I did. I moved around a lot so that I never got pinned down for that reason. Mm -hmm. And perhaps people did think that. And recently I saw a friend who was a, a friend from my antenatal group. So, so it, uh, 10 years ago now. And I said to her, she, she knows what I'm doing with all my blog and everything. And I said to her, did, did you ever worry about me drinking? Did, did I ever stand out to you as having a problem? And she said, not compared to a lot of people, she said, but I was always worried about you. She said, I was always watching 
that you were drinking faster than anyone else and I always wanted to make sure that you got home safely. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was a real shock because I didn't realise that I did stand out. I thought I was just, you know, as I said before, like absorbed into drinking culture. Whereas in fact, perhaps looking back, I did stand out as being the one who was over drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, this is an interesting time to get into this this labelling topic. So it's interesting, yeah, the way that we label ourselves or the way that we perceive to be labelled as. I know you've have called yourself a binge drinker. Yeah. Um, have a problem with drinking. Yes, yes. Like the, I like a, where this is going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not, you don't see, didn't see yourself as an alcoholic because that word has got lots of negative connotations or yeah. that is, we perceive that to be something. And I guess what makes your podcast, and I imagine your book, so inclusive in a way is that you don't use that word, alcoholic. Yeah. You know, if this is a podcast from, you know, two alcoholics talking about alcoholism, that neglects most people. Go, I'm not going to listen to that. I won't be able to relate to it. But if you go with people that have been drunk yeah. and listen to the podcast, cool. Every single person I know has done that at some point. <laughs> um, do you think, well, it's interesting. I guess you've almost already answered it, that had... I always see labels as a very bad thing. You know, we like to put people in boxes and it's particularly, you know, if you see yourself as the fun person, how can I always be the fun person if I'm having a miserable day and all of my friends think I'm the fun person, then yeah. do I, how do I get permission to not be the fun person today? Yeah. Um, but in terms of no one called you out and said, you, you're, the, you're, the, you're the drunk girl, like you said, you're the druggy girl. And in a way that nearly had a positive effect on you, that nearly... You know, in another set of circumstances, that could have got you out of it. Yeah. Instead, it just got you out of uni, which is probably not, yeah. not a good move. Don't worry, it was all, it was Luton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sweet! Any yeah. escape? Don't Luton? worry, it wasn't Oxford. Okay, if you go to Luton, not for the airport, <laughs> you're making a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What's been your relationship, I guess, with with labels then, and you know, words like oh. binge drinking or alcoholic or all of those? It's a hard one because the reason I don't use the word alcoholic too much is because I don't. I mean, I don't really care what people think about me now, but I I think if I say to somebody I'm an alcoholic, they immediately jump to an image of me, especially drunk mummy, sober mummy, like alcoholic mother, you jump to an image of a woman passed out on the floor with a crying baby crawled up, crawling over her, mm-hmm. which isn't the case with me. Yeah. I wasn't that. I've never have been that. I mean, I've been passed out with other things crawling over me probably, yeah. but like, uh, I just... I am not that person. I never drank in front of my children. I never really drank much around the house. I was always out mm-hmm. surrounded by people like me. But what I've discovered since really going on this sort of sobriety journey is that people don't like those labels and people don't w- want to be an alcoholic. And they're not going to listen to my story if, if I'm aiming at that, which is exactly what you mm. said. Um, I think this word so, sober curious is a really nicer way of saying somebody who is questioning their relationship with alcohol. Because what I talk about a lot is this vast spectrum of alcoholism. It isn't an extreme and it isn't, it it is a huge spectrum of people that sit on it and working out that took me a long time, in fact, 26 years, it took me to work out that I did sit on that spectrum somewhere. And I think a lot of people do. It doesn't have to be that extreme and you don't have to use that word, but admitting that you sit on that spectrum actually opens up a few more doors because 
in that space, once you have admitted to that, yes, I do have a problem with alcohol. Once I start, I can't stop and I don't know how to deal with this and I'm questioning myself every Sunday morning. That means you are sober curious. It means that you do sit on that spectrum and you are worthy of getting professional support. Um, but yeah, labels are a funny old thing because it, it sort of puts you in a box, as you say, and, and I don't feel like I fit in that box. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think saying I am an alcoholic would probably, I think I might get to a point where I would say that because there is nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> so I don't know why I have a fear of it. I do think it takes, it would take me a long time before I could say to somebody, yes, I'm an alcoholic. But I will say that I do fit on that alcoholic spectrum just because I don't want people to think the worst of me. Of course. But, but, but somebody who is an alcoholic, if somebody told me that, I wouldn't think the worst of them, so I would just think, "Gosh, I hope they're okay." Yeah, like, yeah. so I don't know. I, I don't guess know. The difficulty is it comes in the same breath, and I've heard you say, you know, as soon as, as, soon as you tell someone I'm sober, yes. people think, "Cool, so you are an alcoholic." You know, exactly. Like that, that is where people lead yeah. to. So you can't stop people having their own misconceptions of you. I mm-hmm. guess so they, they're going to think whatever they're going to think. And to be honest, they can think what they like. I really don't care anymore because that's definitely something that comes with sobriety is realising that the opinions of others is is not something that's going to weigh me down anymore because that's what got me into drinking and that's what kept me drinking was that I wanted to to be the people pleaser. I wanted to make everybody happy. And I think part of that sobriety journey is learning that that isn't my role and that what I do is really not that relevant to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good lesson, I think sure yeah how did you stop then so you know I always say I would have loved to have gone to to the you know South American jungle and done ayahuasca or but probably exchanging one drug for another wouldn't have been a good thing but I would have quite (laughs) liked that come back I would have met I would have become a shaman or something wouldn't I or licked a toad I always would have liked to look like I would have liked to have gone to a monastery in Tibet and sat with some monks on a (laughs) on a clifftop but no, I just went to see a local therapist who dealt with addiction. I literally Googled it and just went, right, this is what I need to do. I, what I realised was when I stepped out that morning and told my husband that I needed help was I wasn't capable of solving this problem on my own. Yeah. I was failing at moderation. Moderation for me was just me taking a sip of a first glass of wine and then saying, fuck it, let's get the bottle. Yeah. So I realised I was failing. And failing is also part of this. I must make a point of that. Failing at moderation was my journey to sobriety. (laughs) I felt guilt and shame about not being able to stop drinking. But actually, that fact was what enabled me to seek help. So, yeah, I just um, reached out to a local lady, a company called Breaking Free, here on the sunny coast, um, picked up the phone and said, look, I'm a bit of a binge drinking mum that needs some help thinking she'd probably just put the phone down and say, yeah, sorry, this is, we've got, you know, real alcoholics here. Right, yeah. But actually she just said, see you Monday. And, and then that was the beginning of, of learning why I was such a huge boozer all my life, yeah. So is it effectively kind of a therapy-style approach to it, more looking into you as a person and that's how you distance yourself from booze? Is that, is that how yeah, you Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think what I learned during therapy was... There were reasons why I was a people pleaser. I mean, I was a little bit... There was a situation at school when I was 14. Um, I was a bit bullied by two girls. When I say bullied, um, they were my best mates and one day they weren't anymore. Yeah. So it, well, there was no physical or, or even... They never even called me names or anything like that. But all of a sudden I went from being um, just a popular kid, you know, and happy to eating lunch on my own 
for you know the rest of the term and mm-hmm. actually leaving that school in the end um and at the time it was absolutely heartbreaking for me and i didn't realize for all of the years that i was drinking that that ha- that that event was important yeah. i i i i thought that trauma had to be really severe for you to be able to to have side effects from it but what i've learned is that trauma is relative and that if something's happened to you and it's hurt your heart it's okay for you to for that to affect the rest of your life it, you shouldn't be shy about that because i was scared about telling people how badly that affected me because i know that other people's trauma is a lot worse than yeah, mine yeah. so yeah i was a bit embarrassed about my trauma to be honest with you but once I talked about that in therapy, I realized that me losing my friends meant that from that point on, I wanted to make friends and I wanted to keep them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that resulted in me over drinking because I was trying to entertain people. I was trying to be the life and soul of the party. I wanted to make everybody happy so they would stay. I, I guess, Hamish, it was a bit of a abandonment issue that I'd never dealt with. And that caused a hole in my heart and this void that we talk about a lot in this sort of sober scene. I think people, a lot of people have voids and once the void is open, it tends to get bigger. So that leads to, you know, over drinking or drug taking, which the hole gets bigger and bigger or promiscuity and all of these feelings of being worthless throughout your life come from little traumas like that or big traumas or whatever's happened during your life. And it all adds up to make that hole a little bit bigger. And it's not until you are able to seek help for it that you can understand why you were doing the things you were doing. And how immediate is understanding the root of that to helping not drinking, you know? So you put your thumb on it, Mm. okay, that must be the reason. Yeah. You come home, it's Friday night, you're tired. How easy is it to then not pick up the bottle well for me I think realizing that that had had such a massive impact on my life helped me heal that situation and Mm. realize actually that wasn't my fault we were just young girls people make bad decisions I'd always thought it was my fault and questioned it and all of these things and once that was put aside it almost felt like I was capable of of moving on from it which meant I was capable of changing my life I mean there was a lot of other things that happened in therapy you know loads happens in 12 weeks in a little room Mm. and a lot of things came up that I I hadn't ever dealt with and things that that had made me sad for years and dealing with those things and recognizing and pinpointing them as you say it makes I mean, I didn't realise that people can change when I walked into that office. And when I walked out 12 weeks later, I realised that people are capable of change and healing things from the past is what makes you be able to step into your own new future. It's interesting that it sounds like human connection was both the start and the end of your relationship with drinking. It sounds like you started to make friends and be the fun person and you finished because you're in your bedroom hungover on a Sunday, not with your kids, and you're not being the mum you want to be, you're not, you know, connecting in, in, on, on the weekends like you should be. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's what made you finish, which is an interesting... It's definitely about human connection and that, and that feeling of wanting to make others happy. I think what therapy taught me was I'm not responsible for other people's happiness. 
because that's what I was doing. I was taking people out for the night. You knew, you always knew you were going to have a good night when you were with me. Yeah. Because I was always going to be the funny one, the one that was telling the jokes, doing the stupid dancing. You were always guaranteed a good night. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's a big responsibility yeah. to have. And that's why I think I used to overdrink because perhaps I was more of an introvert than an extrovert. So the drinking made me somebody who I thought I was expected to be to make people to like me. But what therapy realized, made me realize was that I, I shouldn't care so much what people think. Mm -hmm. And what people think was having a really you know, negative repercussions on my life. And once I took that element out of caring anymore, I, it made me feel like I could do, you know, I could not have alcohol in my life anymore, which is what happened. It's a slow process. I mean, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't like me going, yeah, hey, that's worked out. And then I walk out and never drink again. It did take some time. And I mean, I, I spent 18 months after I'd stopped drinking, still pretending to drink when I went out. Yes, I remember you yeah. saying this. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't want to tell people because I was still worried about what people thought about me a little bit. And I just thought, gosh, everyone's going to think I'm a boring bastard if I do this. And I, I just thought everyone would hate me. But slowly and surely, this, this journey, as you, if anyone ever tries it, it, it you, you start to become more in touch with who you are and you start to like yourself a bit more. And that's definitely the, the second part of sobriety. It's, it's just not giving up drinking. It's building that new foundation for yourself and then moving on from that once the changes are all made. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, it definitely is a lot. There is a lot of self-reflection involved, which can sound quite self-indulgent sometimes but those changes that I made are, are hopefully going to have huge fallout in my family and in my you know in what I what ripples through from this I hope will be that my children will make better choices around alcohol I mean you'll have to you have to call me Hamish in yeah. 10 years. I'll, I'll interview them in 20 years. Yeah, in prison where yeah, exactly. they've been done <laughs> drunk and disorderly. And then we'll say, oh, actually, that didn't work. Yeah, oh, well, it was worth a try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's worth, yeah, it's worth 26 years of binge drinking to fail at parenting. <laughs> well, yeah, what you did next is, I guess, the reason that I have asked you on the podcast. So everyone that I ask on the podcast is because I think they're doing something extraordinary outside of their n normal lives, you know? So you've gotten sober then what came first you you know you are today drunk mummy sober mummy with a big following and this is you know very much part of who you are did it start with the blog did it start with you wanting to write a book did it start with you just setting up you, you know your club with other mums how did yeah. it how did it begin so the day that I gave up drinking I started writing a diary mm -hmm. because it was such a huge thing for me like if you'd asked me even the year before I gave up I would have said to you I will always drink. Like it was so massive for me. Mm -hmm. Drinking was, was really how I identified as myself. It was my entire personality. So when I gave up drinking, I thought, gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to log this because this is really huge for me. It was just for myself just to know how, I, so I could read back and see how my story had developed for personal reasons. But then that became my book. So I started writing a book, which I called a thousand wasted Sundays for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I started my book and it's all developed from there. So then I realized that because I'm talking a lot about this mid-range drinking, this Pinot Gris purgatory, I call it, where people get a bit stuck and fall through the cracks and don't get help. 
I thought, gosh, this isn't something I've personally read about before. I thought I was the only person that had a mid-range drinking problem that was seeking professional support. So I thought, gosh, this is actually really interesting for not only for myself, but I thought, I bet you there's other mums out there who are stuck in that place and do need support. So I, I started writing the blog, which was parts of my diary um, from the book and all of that. And then it's just gone, you know, I was right. There is a place where people are getting stuck and it is resonating with a lot of people. Just because I'm brutally honest about, you know, about what we said about being a shit parent sometimes mm-hmm. and about finding motherhood boring. I'm just being totally honest. And I think that is what what reaches people is my brutal honesty about what it is really like to be a binge drinker and somebody that is going on this sober path and and how my children affect me on a day-to-day basis because it is hard and and it's not all you know rainbows and unicorns all the time being a parent is hard especially with three young kids which I've got now I'm bloody exhausted and I get annoyed and I shout and I do bad parenting all the time but I think that's how this has developed because people are shy to talk about those things and be honest with them. So now I run a sober social network for women on the Sunshine Coast here. So it's just a way of people who are sober curious, um, people that are questioning their alcohol intake um, to be able to meet up and discuss it. And we have a Facebook group. Um, So that's women all over the world actually on the Facebook group who share their sober stories and share their struggles, which is really fascinating. And now I'm doing a podcast as well, which is I've hooked up with my mate Lucy. She is the um, owner of Beanstalk Single Mums, which is a single mums network, um, a worldwide network for anyone who's split up with a partner and all navigating uh, parenting on your own. Um, And she, I met her through my, through our work really. I was writing an article for her website on mummy wine culture and she actually contacted me and said, oh, I'd love to have, you know, I'd want to put this article on here. It's amazing. And actually, I have a problem with alcohol and I'd like to talk to you about mm. it. So I met up with her. We have porridge dates where we go and eat porridge together now. But like our first porridge date, she told me that she was struggling a little bit. And and she went out afterwards and bought a bottle of champagne because she was so pleased that she'd met someone she resonated with. Because I think Lucy and I both thought sober people were just boring dullards. But actually what resonated with Lucy was that I'm still the same person. I'm fun and confident Mm -hmm. and happy. And I think that's all she needed was to see somebody that was still having a nice life without alcohol. And so Lucy gave up drinking three days after meeting me. And she's now been sober for nearly seven months. And she's been doing a lot of podcasts before with her website. So it seemed like the obvious next step for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So that podcast is called Sober Awkward? Sober Awkward, yep. It's all about the intricate and awkward moments that sober people have to face in society and everything in between. We talk about mummy wine culture. We talk about being boring, what it's like to tell people for the first time that you've given up drinking, all of those awkward situations. Yeah, and it's a really funny podcast. She's lovely, Lucy, and she's doing an amazing job of, of her new sober life so yeah she's got two grown-up daughters and I've got three young children so it just works between us we always have a lot to talk about and she's been sober three months I think it is it's nearly seven months seven now. months yeah. sorry okay seven yeah. months and you're three years three years yeah so that's a cool relationship you guys yeah. have she, I think what I like about the podcast is her asking you lots of questions live on air and you know we find out 
all of those answers, you know, yeah. effectively as, as she does, as she learns yeah. of you. And it's great for listeners as well to hear, like, Lucy's in the early stages. She is still experiencing a lot of awkward, sober situations. So it's really good to hear that, you know, those things are okay too. It is going to be awkward. It is going to be weird going to a bar for the first time and ordering a fizzy water. Those moments are extremely awkward, but you do get through them. And our motto on the podcast is to feel the awkward and do it anyway, which was funny because on the last podcast, actually Lucy was supposed to be going to her 50th birthday party and she didn't go because it was just too awkward. Mm. So that was a really good topic because it just shows you it, it is real and we're not perfect and we do still find these situations hard which and so being sober isn't isn't the easy path always Hamish it's always it's you are going against the grain a little bit which is a bit silly in this modern day culture is that the person that's not drinking is the odd one out because you know you're the one who's making a healthy decision and it doesn't seem fair do you think we'll get to a stage where you ordering a you know a fizzy water at a bar will not be questioned in the same way if you go out for a restaurant and somebody orders vegetarian yeah. Is not questioned, you know. No one hammers them and goes, "Oh, don't yeah. be boring. Get the meat down, you." Yeah. Are we? Are we gonna? Are we gonna get there? Is that, you know, a dream world in twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years? I think we will. I mean, I do think things are changing. I think uh, there's sober bars popping up in cities all over the world. I think it is, you know, health and fitness is is changing. I think people are more aware, and with your access to social media and everything that's going on in the world you can't you can't miss out on the fact that there is this sober curious movement and there are people that feel like you do and and things are changing with all these sobriety groups popping up and all that sort of thing i mean all the quit literature now which is you know all people on sober journeys even books by think people like um flea and um anthony kiedis from the chili peppers They've both got amazing sobriety books, which are really brutally honest and tell you about their real roller coaster rides. Books like that and, you know, Sober Curious and, and The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, all of those books are just proving they're so popular. People are reading them for a reason, and it's because they are questioning their drinking habits. And it's funny you ask that as well, because everyone I speak to, I don't know hardly anyone who has a really happy relationship with alcohol. I think especially the people that are always the party people, the ones that are always the over-drinkers, I think they are questioning and sometimes they do find it too hard to admit it because it's not that extreme. So it just goes unnoticed. So I hope, I, I do hope, I mean, I'm going to an alcohol-free party in Sydney in June, which I've been invited to, run by the sober sommelier, who's another English girl who, who sort of advertises alcohol-free drinks. And she's doing a campaign at the moment to get more alcohol-free drinks into pubs and restaurants all over yes. Australia. Awesome. So, like, stuff like that is happening below the surface. There yeah. are much better alcohol-free drinks available yeah. today than there have been. I did a podcast with Heaps Normal, who's made the only good non-alcoholic beer I've ever had. Yeah, right. I used to work with Seedlip. That's great non-alcoholic yep. drink. Yep. And Butcher's gone crazy here. Yeah. And, you know, for sure we'll everywhere else. So I guess that they're available now. What, yeah. what, what What's your go-to drink now? Well, occasionally I do have like a cold Peroni Zero Zero, yeah. like an alcohol-free Peroni. But it's not, I don't know, because I think for me drinking was more of a sort of numbing out sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get, I wanted to feel the feeling of being drunk. So the alcohol-free wines and beers are, are, are sort of not as appealing to me. I'm happy to have 
a little coconut water or a fizzy water yeah. or just you know i do like it when somebody jazzes up a drink for me and i get a nice umbrella or at least a parrot yeah. on a on a stick or something <laughs> but like you know i will have the odd alcohol free beer occasionally sometimes it's nice just not to get questioned when i'm out yeah. people like why are you just having a juice so sometimes it's nice just to have a you know something that looks like a beer just to avoid those awkward questions yeah, yeah. although i love your response to anyone that questions yeah fuck off fuck off <laughs> two key words it <laughs> used to be i'm driving or i used to have this list of excuses like i'm on antibiotics or whatever but now it's just fuck off it's none of your business because it isn't exactly what I, what I put in my body is actually not anybody else's business i yeah. loved it yeah on your podcast you said now anyone ask you that question i've got a two-worded answer i hit pause and i was going i'm driving i'm pregnant <laughs> um you know i Fuck off, I did not guess. That was, <laughs> when I hit play yeah. again. It's, it works for a lot of things, actually. Yeah, I, I use it a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what I wanted to end on, yeah. The name Vicky Vanston mm. and you as a person works well as a superhero. <laughs> okay, I okay. can see VV on the front of a Batman-style costume. <laughs> I think you are a superhero, um, particularly not only from what you've set up here, but because of your relationship with Lucy from your podcast. You underplayed it during this conversation, but you went and had a coffee with her and she stopped drinking. Um, and she tells a story in the podcast which blew me away, which you've modestly not retold, which is that she came to the first meeting with you guys, the first night out that you guys were all going to go on, and she couldn't get out of her car. And you called her and you said, where are you? She goes, I can't get out of my car. I'm sitting opposite the bar. I can't come. And you grabbed her and you got her hand and you walked into the bar and you said, oi, we'll have two mocktails. And that story, and I, you know, I've not met her, but I know that you changed her life. And I know that other people that listen to your podcast and read your blog and will read your book, um, it will change their lives. So I think you're a superhero. <laughs> VV needs to be on the front of a superhero costume with a cape <laughs> at some point. If anyone listening makes capes, yeah. it's a long shot. I, I look good in a cape, actually. I don't doubt that. Covers my covers my fat bits. Oh, it's it's, it's curvaceously kind. Yeah. <laughs> Cur um, curvaceously kind is good. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for being on this. Thank you for sitting with me. Thank you for doing everything that you're doing. Um, everyone should go and, and listen to your podcast and keep an ear out. You're on the news tonight. This is a perfect day to do it. She's it is. I'm on the news tonight. Weirdly enough, if you're listening to this, it's too late. But you could go back and be on <laughs> yeah. YouTube. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Hamish. You're lovely. I appreciate your support. And thank you for saying I'm a superhero. I don't feel like one, but I appreciate your kindness. Not at all. <laughs> thank you. was Vicky Vanston what an absolute dream to get to sit down with her isn't she lovely um god just a really fun and energizing person to sit down with uh, if you did enjoy that podcast I've got not it's not the first one that we've done necessarily on uh alcohol you can go back and listen to the one heaps normal which was the um remains the best non-alcoholic beer I've ever had um and yeah great chat with Ben about all things um drinking mindfully effectively so go back and give that one a listen. Um, if you do want to get in touch with Vicky, 
You can find a drunk mummy, sober mummy is her name on Instagram. It's the name of her blog, her website, Facebook group, all that sort of stuff. Um, so do reach out to her uh, if you've got any questions or you just want to connect or you're going through a, a difficult patch of your drinking, whatever it is, um, she can point you in the right direction. So thanks again, Vicky. Thank you guys for listening. Join us again as soon as possible or whenever that might be here on Hack Chats.